Welcome to Bachelor Creek today. As a church family, we want to be a place that celebrates when others are celebrating. And so today, I think we should start by celebrating the Southwood Knights and their big uh, semi-state run. That was amazing. Cole's here today. He was on that team. Good job, guys. And I say this, <laughs> I say this as someone that grew up a Norseman and whose kids are Apaches, but I was cheering for the Knights yesterday, for sure. So we're proud of you guys. Um, I want to start by sharing a story today. On June 22nd, 1996, Ann Arbor, Michigan resident, Keisha Thomas, went to a rally, a KKK rally, with a, a group of people to protest it. And this rally took place in a or this protest took place in a designated area at the rally, and it was behind a fence. Well, all of a sudden, one of the other protesters yelled out on a megaphone that one of the Klansmen had been in their midst. Well, you can probably imagine the chaos that ensued as the protesters chased after this man as he tried to escape their grasp. Well, they seized him, they threw him to the ground, and began to beat him. That's when Keisha Thomas stepped into the scene. And you'll see in this picture exactly what she did. She stepped between the people that she had come there with and in front of the man she was there to oppose. And as they tried to beat this man, she stood there between them, protecting him from the blows and quite possibly saving his life that day. This picture that you see was taken in that moment. Unbeknownst to Keisha, this picture would go viral that year and became Times Magazine's Photo of the Year in 1996. When I see pictures like this, when I hear stories like Keisha's, I tend to put myself in the action of the story. And I ask myself, what would I have done that day if I was in the crowd? Would I have stepped to this man's aid like Keisha did? Or would I have stepped back and let it happen? But notice, when we step into those scenarios, we always place ourselves as the hero of the story. We want to be the ones that saved the day. And this doesn't happen just in true life stories. It also happens in fictional stories that we read or we watch. So think about uh, some different characters in these stories that you know so well, like Luke Skywalker or Darth Vader. Which one do you tend to gravitate towards? Or again, another would be Harry Potter and Voldemort. Which one of those two would you tend to, to go towards? Or even one of my favorites, Rocky Balboa or Ivan Drago. Those are, those are people that we would tend to say, we want to be like the hero in the story. We want to be like the one that came and saved the day, the one that comes and conquers. But very rarely do we put ourselves in the shoes of the enemy. So over the next three weeks, we are going to dive into a series called Jesus Changes Everything. And if you've been with us the past eight months or so, you've probably noticed that we've been using this language more and more, these three words to describe our church body. Jesus changes everything. And here's why. As a church, our vision here is to glorify God through changed lives. And what we've started to understand more and more is that we are not the ones in charge of changing the lives. Jesus is in the life-changing business. He's the one that changes everything in our lives. 
And so we decided to have one of our own, an artist here, Kristen Pegg, design a graphic for us to use in a lot of different ways. So out on the Welcome Center wall, you'll see it real big. It says, Jesus changes everything. That is hand-sketched by Kristen Pegg, one of our own. She did that for us, which is out there for us to see. But it's also on our baptism shirts. We handed out car, mag car stickers last year that everybody was able to put on their car that said, Jesus changes everything. It's even on some of our volunteer masks. And as you look at your sermon notes today on the back, Jesus changes everything is always right there because this is our rally cry as a church that believes that everything changed because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so we wanted to take some time to dig into what that really means. If we're gonna use this term as a church, if we're going to proclaim it to people that we encounter, we wanna make sure that we are all on the same page of understanding this is what it looks like for Jesus to change everything. So over the next three weeks, we wanna dig in to some stories of life change from Jesus' time on earth and to look at the encounters he had with other people because when people encountered Jesus, they always walked away changed. And here's the beauty about that. If we go back to the beginning, the story about Keisha Thomas I told, I started with that because what I've realized as I've read these stories of life change from Jesus' ministry is that Jesus most definitely is the hero of the story. And it's not the other way around. And so today, as we look at a story of life change, I want you to place yourself in the position of the guilty one, the broken one in the story. I want you to step into the uncomfortable with me as we look at what Jesus truly did in our lives. So, instead of reading the scripture on the screen or in your Bibles or in your bulletin today, I want you to simply close your eyes with me. And I want you to listen to this beautiful story of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. This is going to be from John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And before I get to reading this, I want to say a quick prayer for us today, inviting the Holy Spirit to speak. God, we know that your Spirit is present in those who believe and those who have given their lives to you. And so today we pray that your spirit opens our ears, opens our hearts to these words found in the Gospels. In your son's name I pray, amen. Keep your eyes closed with me as we imagine this scene together. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adul adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, 
Jesus said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You can open your eyes now. Could you picture yourself in this woman's shoes, the one who is condemned in the story? Can you imagine what it must have been like for her in that moment? Ashamed, knowing that she had committed this act that she had been accused of, humiliated, dragged before this crowd and before Jesus himself, and all of her darkest sins brought to light, scared, wondering if this was the last day that she had to live. Can you feel the pain? Can you feel the brokenness in this moment for this woman? For her, there had to seem like there was no way out of this situation. And it's important for us to recognize that this story found in in the Gospels, it's only located in the book of John. And actually, if you go back and look at the earliest manuscripts of John, you can't find this story there either because it was added a little bit later. And that happened because everybody knew that this was a Jesus story. It fit into the scriptures that we have, and so they made sure that it was preserved and passed on orally, retold over and over again from one believer to another, this story of great mercy, and eventually it was patched into John's gospel. He may not have been the author of this story, but it fits into what he's telling, into his overall arch of the gospel that John is telling. And I'm so thankful that it was added and patched into the canon of scripture because it gives us a Jesus story, an authentic Jesus story, that also packs a punch. Because the Pharisees here, they're they're bringing this woman to Jesus to try to trick him, like they did so many times, to try to trap him in his words. And we know that this is the case because the guilty man in the story, he's nowhere to be found. If the Pharisees truly cared about justice in this moment, then the guilty man would have been there as well because that's what the law of Moses said should have happened. But they didn't care about that. They were only using this woman to get to Jesus. They didn't care about her life. They were ready to sacrifice her, to stone her in order to stump Jesus. They thought that this was a moment, this was a scenario that was a lose-lose situation for Jesus, that he's not getting out of this one. There's no way he answers correctly here because if Jesus glanced over her sin and said, oh, it's not that big a deal, then they would call him a heretic and they would say, this man doesn't believe the law of Moses. And yet, if Jesus said, no, we need to condemn this woman for what she's done, we need to stone her, stone her right here, right now, then he'd be in hot water with the Roman authorities. But Jesus, in this moment, does what only Jesus, the Son of Man, can do. The Son of God bends down and he starts to write in the dirt, which seems like a little bit of an odd thing to do in that situation. And in the story, we don't know what Jesus wrote there. It doesn't tell us what Jesus writes in the dirt. The author doesn't think that it matters too much. There are some speculations of what Jesus could have wrote. Some think that maybe Jesus was writing out the Ten Commandments 
so that those present that day could have seen that they too had broken some of the laws of Moses. And others think that Jesus, knowing everything, was actually writing the specific sins of those people that were there. He was writing out everything that they'd done so that they can know, you're accusing this woman, but you've also had things that you've done wrong. And others think that maybe Jesus was pointing back to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13, and writing out these words. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of the living water. Whatever he wrote that day led to a powerful change of events in this story. Because those that were there, when he said, the person that is without sin can cast the first stone, they all dropped their stones and they walked away. No one threw a stone at her that day. And as amazing as that is in this story, I think it's the words that Jesus spoke next when it was just him and this adulterous woman that really changed her life forever. That really points to the idea that Jesus changed everything in this moment. John 8, 10 and 11 says this, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. The only one that could have thrown a stone at her that day did not do it. The only one that could have cast accusations her way did not do it. Instead, he offers her forgiveness and he invites her to a brand new start. And church, I need you to understand with me today that you and I are in the same position as that adulterous woman. And here's why. First of all, we all have a past. We all have a past. And it might not be the same past as this adulterous woman. But we are all broken and all in need of a savior. We're jealous people. We're angry people. We're people that covet and gossip. We're people that lust. We're people that sin and are broken before a perfect and righteous God. Just like this woman stood across from Jesus who was perfect, we're in the same position as her today. And I can tell you that for a very long time in my life, I would tell people that I don't really have that big of a story to tell. I grew up in a church. I was baptized when I was 10 years old. I, I probably avoided a lot of hardships that others had in their lives. And I'd, I'd say to myself, how can I relate to others who have been through all of these things that I'll never be able to connect with? I'll tell you how bad it got. There was a time in high school where I was inviting this friend to church all the time. He was one of my good friends, and we'd come here together, and I would be sitting right over here, and we'd be worshiping. There was a song that we'd sing. It was, Here I Am to Worship. Some of you might know that song or are familiar with that song. And in that song, Here I Am to Worship, there's these uh, lines. There's a, a, a couple of lines that are on the screen here. It says, Oh, I'll never know how much it cries. Cry, 
how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. And I can remember my friend sitting there, and his sins at that time were more visible than mine. I knew that he needed Jesus, and for whatever reason at that time, maybe it was to lighten the mood, maybe it was because I truly wanted him to be changed by Jesus, but I changed the lines to this song, and I, and I sang it, and I know that he heard what I said. Oh, I'll never know how much it costs to see, and instead of saying my sins, I inserted his name into the song upon that cross. I'll never know how much it costs to see my friend's sins upon that cross. And in that moment, and today as well, I know that Jesus is saying to me, Tyler, the one who is without sin can cast the first stone. I'm here today to tell you that there was sin in my life then, and there is sin in my life now. And if you're honest with yourself, I know you can say the same. But I think as church people, as people who have been around Jesus, have been around church, we get comfortable. And we start to think that we can do it on our own, and that we don't need Jesus. That we are good enough without him. And that's a dangerous place to be, church, because we are forgetting what it's all about. We're forgetting what Jesus has done for us. And because of that, we're blinded to what it really means to go out and to take this gospel, to take the good news of Jesus to the world. That's what gospel means. It's good news. And we all have a good news story to tell. We all have a gospel story to tell in our lives, but sometimes we forget it. We forget how broken we are. We forget the sins that are present in our lives and how every single day the grace of Jesus is what covers us. The grace of Jesus is what spurs us forward, that gives us hope and a future. That that is what changes our lives. He has changed everything. We need Jesus just as much as the woman that stood before him did. We need Jesus just as much as my friend did on that Sunday morning. We need Jesus just as much as I do at this very moment. We are all guilty before God. Now, I will not stop there today and drop the mic and walk off because that's not the end of our story either. Because even though Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we have something else that is very true of us, just as, as much as it was true of the adulterous woman. And that's this. Jesus is ready to forgive and to forget our past. He's ready to forgive and to forget our past. We can believe that with confidence today, church. That our past does not have to define us. Listen to what the very next verse in Romans says. So Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The very next verse says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And then again in, in Romans 5.8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not while we did a bunch of good things for Christ. Not while we attended church every week for a year. Not while we gave a tithe and an offering to the church. While we were still sinners, while we were still far off, that's when Christ died for us, knowing that we needed him. And then Romans 8.1 says this, Therefore there is no condemn now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Because of Jesus, everything has changed. Did you notice in the story that this woman, she never admits her guilt, and she never asks Jesus for forgiveness. Jesus is the one who initiates it. He's the one that offers it to her. I'm going to forgive you, and I'm also offering this new life to you, this better life. If you'll just come and follow me, it's available for you at this moment. Everything can change in an instant. And that same radical mercy and forgiveness that he extends to her, he also is here to extend to us today. Your past does not have to be your present, and it does not have to be your future. Let it go. Go and sin no more. Why? Because in an instant, your past can be gone. You are not your past. I know there's some of you that need to hear that today. You are not your past. Whatever you brought into this place today, whatever baggage you have, you can leave it right here, knowing that Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. How do I know that? Because of the cross. Because Jesus died and rose again for you to pursue a relationship for you and for me. Jesus changes everything in an instant. I have a a three-year-old at home who... Uh, just recently figured out how to change his own clothes, which seems like a blessing as a parent, right? So now he's out of diapers. He can change his own clothes. He basically doesn't need us anymore as parents. We'll just let him do his thing. But it's actually terrible because he literally changes his clothes at least eight times every single day. He'll walk down the stairs and he'll be wearing a tank top and shorts, and then you blink, and the next thing you know, he's wearing a jersey and a headband. And you're like, how did that even happen? I... I haven't been away that long. And then you turn around and you look again and he's in a superhero costume. Like this is, I'm not even mad. Like I'm impressed how fast you can change your clothes. So in that moment, I'll just say this too. (laughs) Just pray for Adrian and myself too because we just do a lot of laundry in our house specifically because of our three-year-old. Like it's just laundry all day long. But I tell you that story of Theo because just like he can change in an instant, your life can change that quickly as well. And I know that's true because every single story of life changed throughout scriptures. When Jesus enters the picture, people walk away changed. There's no staying neutral when it comes to Jesus. When you encounter Jesus, you walk away changed. That doesn't mean it's always gonna be easy. That doesn't mean everything's gonna go away. It actually probably gets harder. But difficult and better can coexist together. That's the truth, church. That when we give our lives to Jesus, life is better. That doesn't mean easy, but it is better because he's a part of it. I know that that woman who was caught in adultery probably didn't think that things were gonna turn out the way they did that day. She couldn't have seen it coming, but Jesus entered the story and the rest was history. He wiped away her past. He covered them up. Scripture tells us that he takes our sins and he divides them from us as far as the east is from the west. And then he demanded a new future for her life. So over the next three weeks, my prayer is that you let these three words sink in deep into your heart. That they come up in those instances where you need to hear it the most. That you remember your story that you have, your gospel story. Jesus changes 
everything. Jesus changes everything. He changes you. He changes me. He changes our past. He changes our present. He changes our future forever. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he truly does change everything in our lives. I thank you for the story of the adulterous woman because I see my life in her. And so many times I try to picture myself as the crowd present or as the Pharisees or as Jesus myself, the one that has to go and save others. But God, I need to recognize that I'm the one that needs to be saved first and that you've done that for me because of the cross, that I am forgiven, that I, my past has been wiped away, that my present can be changed and that my future has hope in you. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the hope that is found in him alone. And I pray that we run to him every single day of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.